Well, good morning, church. Oh, y'all, doesn't it feel amazing outside today? I'm telling you, one day we're budgeting for the retractable roof. I'm just saying. <laughs> if you're new to us today and never heard of tithing, that's a total joke. I'm just saying. No, listen, what an awesome day to, to be together. I, I want you to open your Bible to two places. One is Romans chapter 12. This will be the last week we're in Romans chapter 12 before we move on. Um, the other place I want you to open to is Luke chapter 10. Those are the two primary places we'll be in. Uh, we'll be in Luke first, then we'll go to Romans 12, just so that you can be ready for it. Um, but it's been really good. I, I want to let you know I had uh, lunch with a church member not long ago, and uh, we were having some chicken strips, and he said, these chicken strips taste like they have been brined. I was like, brining chicken strips? Very interesting. I know the word brine. I just feel like you're supposed to do it with a Thanksgiving turkey or something. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I wasn't sure. And so then we started talking. So later on, um, that, that night I went home and said, Christy, I want to try brining some chicken. What do you think? And so she's game for it. And so we brined chicken in pickle juice, in jalapeno juice, about a half gallon of salt, it felt like. You know what I'm talking about? A little bit of salt and then a lot of water is what it was. We brined it in there, didn't put, that was a joke on the salt, didn't put that much in there. So we did that, did it for about an hour and then grilled it. And let me tell you what I found out. Just by letting that chicken spend some extra time, I don't normally do this. I'm normally a straight from unthawed chicken to grill. And if I'm in a hurry, right men? It's cold, frozen chicken on the grill. You know what I mean? And you cut it in half and pretend like you were prepared. But, but I, I slowed down and I brined it. And we took it off. And do you know, A, it was amazingly juicy. B, it tasted like a hot pickle got a hold of that chicken. It was a fantastic combination, right, of that. And I just thought, what, what a funny thing. Just allowing this chicken to marinate for a little bit longer than normal has brought about something completely new. And, and as I was thinking about that, this is our fourth week in Romans chapter 12. I want to show you, I've never marinated on one chapter, this chapter specifically, I guess, of scripture for four weeks where it's had the most and the majority of my focus. And, and as I was thinking about this, reading Psalm 119, 97, the, the psalmist writes, oh, how I love your law. I meditate it all day long. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. And I just really thought, Lord, there's something about slowing down. If you're wondering, how do I meditate on the word? Well, it's kind of like brining chicken. You stop being in a hurry and you slow down and you soak. You just allow the word of God and the spirit of God to speak to you. Brining the chicken took no work, right? Once I put the juice in the bowl and I put the chicken on top, and if you're thinking about this, you need to put something heavy like a bowl on top of the chicken to make sure it stays under, right? But, but once I did the prep work, I didn't do anything else to make the chicken receive the brine. And I want you to know, sometimes in our prayer life and in the word, we get to this point to do, we just, we like digging, you know, right? Men, we're excellent at this as husband, right? <laughs> Wives are like, yes, you're fantastic diggers, right? We just keep digging. But scripture just says, meditate on it. Soak it in. Be still and know that I'm God. Let that word wash over you. 
And in doing that, I found out the reality of this passage is it ties in so incredibly with the words of Christ. And, and I don't know that I would have, have saw it as clearly if I didn't allow the scripture to wash over me for four weeks. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen with me to Mark chapter 12, verse 29 through 31, and then I'll read that Luke 10 passage. We'll be in verse 25 there. But I want you to listen to two very familiar passages if you've been in church at all. Jesus answered, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second greatest commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these two. Those pretty potent, well-known words. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with everything you are. And second, right? And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, listen to the interchange of, of Jesus and a scribe in Luke 10, which sets us up for today. Same thought from a different direction. The Bible says this. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that's Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Jesus says to the scribe, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, Well, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered this correctly. Do this and you will live. And what I loved here in this interchange, and we'll stay in Luke 10, is that the scribe is echoing a truth that Christ has already proclaimed. And, he, and he's saying this, if you want to know how to live in a right relationship with God, then you must love him with all that you are, and you must love your neighbor as yourself. So as I started walking through that, I started thinking about Romans chapter 8. And specifically in verse 9, where we start off today, we run through a list. If you look at Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it's just this list that we just run off and read off. And I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I see a list, my goal is just to check it off. Amen? Like, get it out of the way. Move along. I want, I want something deeper, fuller, quicker, faster, better now. But as I read this, I thought, this is amazing, Lord. In Romans chapter 1, or chapter 12, verse 1 through 8, what's the focus? How do I love the Lord my God with everything that I am? What's the joy of living as a sacrifice before God? From Him, it's a blessing waiting for me. For me, it's me being fully focused and surrendered to Him, renewing my mind, and as last week, bringing Him and offering every moment of our life one that is right and true and holy. Not like we said last week, hyperphroneo, right? Not, not trying to offer God something that I don't have to give, but just offering who I am and all that I am. How do you love the Lord your God with all of your heart? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 8 is a pretty amazing rundown of what that looks like. But in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, something changes. We start seeing how do we love our neighbor as ourself? How do we do that? Because the list in Romans 9 is pretty fantastic as long as you can do it. 
And, and I don't know about you, but there are places in the Bible where I look at it and say, I know that's the ideal God, and I know technically you say that your spirit has given me all that I need, but quite honestly, I'm not always 100% convinced that I'm where I need to be and able to do that. And so we find ourselves in these lists and we say, God, I just don't know if I could do that. So if we're going to talk about how do we love our neighbors as ourselves, we have to answer two questions. The first is what? Who? Who is my neighbor? And the second is how? How do I love them? And, and I don't know about you, but we've had two types of neighbors in my life. One that we absolutely love and one that we absolutely love when they're not home. Amen? Right? Have you had that? I mean, we, we've baked treats for people on our block before. And, and I mean, there are some that are like, mm, are you soliciting? I think I've got to sign up. You know, it's amazing. I'm like, no, I'm your neighbor. We just want to show you love. And some people are hard, amen? Some of us are hard, amen? Listen to what Jesus says, because we have to answer who is our neighbor first. Luke chapter 10, now I want you to look with me in verse 29 through verse 37. If you are familiar with this passage, it may be new to you, it may be old, but listen close. But he, this is the same scribe who just answered the, the question correctly, desiring to justify himself. In other words, he wants to make sure that he's got his boxes checked off. Says to Jesus, well, then who's my neighbor? Like, I want to love my neighbor. Just tell me who they are. Have you ever been there? Like, if you just tell me who they are, like the three of you over here, nine of you over here, as long as I can do that, you just tell me who my neighbor is. And Jesus replied this way. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. They stripped him and beat him and departed and left him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and he saw him. He passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came down to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him, verse 34, and bound up his wounds, pouring oil on and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him in an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper, saying, Then take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said to him, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, Go and do likewise. Here's what I love about this passage. The man said, who is my neighbor? Would you identify my neighbor? Did Jesus answer that question? He didn't. I love it because Jesus says, I'm not going to answer that question because it's the wrong question. The question is not, would you identify my neighbor for me? But how will you identify yourself as a neighbor? right there's a completely different world going on in that game the levite the priest the samaritan they all saw the same guy and all they thought about was themselves the priest and the the levite what his presence will do to me is not something i want so i'm going to pass on the other way they proved themselves not to be a good neighbor it had nothing to do with the man that was robbed but the Samaritan, he proved himself to be a good neighbor. 
Church, when you and I think about neighbors, when we love our neighbor as ourself, what Jesus says is, don't try to identify who is your neighbor out here. In me, in Christ, in my kingdom, the question is, are you being a neighbor? Because if, if I'm supposed to be a neighbor, guess what that means? Then I'm a neighbor to who? Everybody. I'm their neighbor. Well, then if I'm everyone's neighbor, guess who's my neighbor? Everyone. See, a lot of times we want to work our maze in our own sinfulness, our own selfishness, within our own understanding. And we love to set up parameters for justifying ourselves to Jesus. Well, if you're going to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, then you must love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, you must realize that everyone is your neighbor because God has made you into their neighbor. So if that's the case, it's a big task because as we've already talked about, there are some people that are not fun to be neighbors with. There are some people that are easy to be neighbors with. Let me set you up some New Testament principles. If you haven't heard this before, hear me say it now. When you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament lays out minimum standards that you will never meet on your own. It's the lowest bar possible and everybody fails it. That's why you need Jesus. The New Testament is about abundance. It's about life and generosity and a fullness. In fact, the New Testament rarely addresses minimum standards because only in Christ, but in Christ, we don't have to worry about minimum standards because God has called us to so much more. I mean, think about that. Look in the New Testament. Look how rarely minimum standards are talked about and look how often abundance is mentioned. What Christ has called us to is a life abundantly. And what Paul is inspired by the Spirit saying is, is that you, in Christ, can be a neighbor to everyone because he can give you abundance in that passage, in that way. So what does it look like? How can I be a good neighbor? Look in your Bible, Romans chapter 12, and we'll read through this. We'll read 9 through 21 just to set our foundation up. Paul says this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless those who do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, that means prideful, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as so far as it depends on you, Live at peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, that's a, that's a list, Right? If you have mastered that, you can sneak out of church any moment from here, right? I mean, 
I, I look at that list and I think, Lord, have mercy. I am a really poor neighbor. Amen? Like they're just, I can point so many of these times where I fall and I fail. But the reality is, and I shared this with a friend this morning, when Christ Jesus saves us, he didn't glorify you in that moment for his reasons. But instead he created a journey of growth and maturity in you. So just because you weren't that way yesterday doesn't mean you can't be different tomorrow. Amen? But you can only be different in Christ Jesus. So what we're going to do is we're going to break this list up into three chunks. Knowing that it's our responsibility to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. And here's what I would tell you. These are the, the three categories. The first category is this. How do I love other Christians in Christ? The second category is, how do I respond towards others' actions and emotions towards me in Christ? And the third is, how do I live with those who mean me harm, those who are my enemies, right? That's really what this passage talks through, just how to love your neighbor as yourself in and underneath Christ. And I love the sincerity of it, the reality of it. But in verse 9, it sets up the tone for the whole thing. All right, go back to verse nine in your Bible. This is what it says. It says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Let love be genuine. See, there's a reason verse one through eight came before verse nine. Because outside of knowing the love of Jesus Christ and your heart set on loving him above all else and with everything you have, you can't love genuinely you'll love selfishly. You might say, well, that's, what do you mean? Well, your love is based on how it makes you feel. Your love is based on a foundation that is faulty and cracked and broken. You, you can't keep up the game. You, you, can't, you can't hold the line. We, we've all proven our inability to be true and honest and holy and good 100% of the time. And if you're unsure of that, if you're married, ask your spouse. Ask your children. If you're not that bold, just go look in the mirror and turn the light off and pretend you were bold. You know what I'm saying? Genuine love is love that is rooted in God. The word abhor, it means to hate violently. It means to hate violently. It's a characteristic. If you read that God abhors something in the Old Testament, that's not a law. That's a characteristic of the Almighty. Are you following me? If you hear that God abhors something, that doesn't change with the times because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? You follow me? Now, so when it says abhor evil, what it means is violently hate it. And before you go crazy... Who is this passage written to? Me, about how I am to love others. So before we start abhorring the evil in others, genuine love doesn't mix evil in on its, its own decisions. Have you ever done that? Have you ever uttered the words, the ends justify the means? have you ever thought I know what I'm doing is wrong but in the end I'm believing it'll work out right if that's the spot that's not genuine love because genuine love abhors evil 
It doesn't want a, a, a scent, a moment, a minute of it mixed in with it. It violently hates it. And so it doesn't tolerate evil in decision-making. It doesn't tolerate evil in action. It doesn't tolerate evil when I'm trying to justify why I did that. That's why love hopes the best in all things. Because if my motive is to love from a foundation that is genuine and from the Holy Spirit, a gift from God, then it always believes that regardless of what's going on in front of me, around me, no matter what kind of advice I'm getting from other people, no matter what feels right, God is working it for my good because he loves me and he's called me. See, it's easy to abhor people, abhor evil or hate evil when we see it around us, amen? Right? That guy cut you off on the road the other day. You abhorred evil, Amen? That someone said something derogatory about your children. You, it's easy. But before we go crazy out there, let your love be genuine. Because you cannot love your neighbor if there is some tolerance for evil in your decision making, your actions, and your justifications in the way that you love, who you love, and who you don't love. And I would tell you right there, right? that you and I need to be people who abhor evil. And if there is someone in our world that is saying they love Jesus with all they are, if they're claiming Christianity and yet they enjoy mixing in evil with the way they execute their Christianity, keep your distance. You follow me? Keep your distance. Because you and I are made for more. We cannot live on a foundation of love for others if we tolerate it in ourselves. Look at verse 10 through 13. How do we love others with a genuine love through Christ? The Bible says this, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints in seeking to show hospitality. Here's how you will know. How do you love your neighbor who is a Christian? You love them like family. You love them like family. And, and the picture here is brotherly affection. And, and the brotherly affection, the word is Philadelphia here. But what it means is an intentional love that promotes the well-being of another, right? Today, I would tell you, you should love one another with motherly love, right? Because I started reading through this, and I just started thinking, what does it look like to outdo one another in showing honor, to not be lazy with zeal, to be fervent in spirit, to serve the Lord, to rejoice in hope, patient tribulation, constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of of the saints and show hospitality seek hospitality is I, I don't know if our brotherly bond in america is quite what it was in the new testament greek or christian home or even the jewish home but what it means is this is is that you are to love one another by promoting their well-being above your own if that was all it looked like that that should be enough right to say, in every instance, I'm going to promote your well-being first. 
I mean, that's the old picture of the man laying down his coat so that a lady doesn't have to walk through the mud puddle. You follow me? Have you seen that happen lately? Yeah, me neither. Right? It's really this picture of saying, even if it takes from me, I want it for you. Well, that feels like a living sacrifice, doesn't it? Even if it takes from me, I want it for you. And then he makes us this list. Outdo in showing honor. In other words, how do we love someone and promote their well-being? That we do our very best to make them feel the value and the worth that Christ has given them at every moment of their life. And we just outdo. <laughs> this is where you know Paul's competitive. It's like, bring it, you know. I want you to feel your worth. No, I want you to feel your worth. No, I want you to feel your worth, right? It's just, I want you to know what God has made you for. I want you to know how valuable you are in God's eyes. I want you to know that the glory of God that shines on you because your relationship with Jesus Christ is unmissable. And I will not do anything intentionally to ever make you feel that that's broken. Instead, I want you to know every moment you were made for more. Not, not reluctant, the Bible says, or slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Don't be reluctant. Don't be lazy. But instead, be excited. How can I show a brother and sister in Christ that they are loved and known and have purpose how can I help my brother or sister in need pursue the calling God has put on their heart how can I promote them that serves the Lord what it almost says is you have to have a heart to serve others knowing that the joy that Christ has put before you is easily worth every moment, every sacrifice, every struggle. When they have hope, rejoice with them. <laughs> right? Every party needs a pooper. Who do we not want it to be? Me. I think there are people in our world that think it honors Christ to step on every dream with a dose of man-made reality. Amen? I mean, just like, you know what? I'm going to do this. No, actually, that's impossible. Da -da 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 -da. Oh, thanks. Have you ever felt crushed by a believer who it was just their job to make you feel the weight that isn't yours to bear? That doesn't honor the Lord. What honors the Lord is you rejoice in their hope. How would that honor Jesus? If he opened that door for you, what would it do? If God chose to do that for you, what would, if you pursued God in that direction, how would it bring him glory? I mean, wouldn't you rather hear that when you were being brave enough to let your dreams out in front of others than, oh, that's kind, you're not up to the task. Let's think of another idea. One reeks of the world and one reeks of Christ. So rejoice in hope. Be patient when they're struggling. Oh man, you know what words that doesn't contain in it? I told you so. 
I, I told you you couldn't do it. I told you that was going to fall. I told you. Should have listened to me. I knew it. I, I already had this figured out, y'all. And there's nothing like a good brotherly kick them when I'm down from a, a Christian brother or sister. Amen? Like that makes me want to get up and worship God, right? It doesn't. But when we're patient with their struggling, when a Christian bends their knee to you, when you are wrestling and says, hold on, we'll get through this. I don't know what the Lord is doing, but you're not going to walk through this alone. Doesn't that make you feel like I want to be a part of that guy's family? Praying for them, helping them out when their needs are, are made known. The Bible ends with this idea of seek to show hospitality, never making them feel like a stranger or unwanted. Can you imagine how potent it would be, church, if that's how the world saw us loving one another? Can you imagine the impact that that would have? Just, just Christian to Christian. They're always making one another feel encouraged in their worth. They're excited to do so. It never seems like a burden. And when they talk about it, they talk about it in a way that God has provided. They, they get excited and they rejoice when they're dreaming and they're bending their knee when they're patient. Gosh. They're praying for one another. They're helping them out. And it never seems like they're unwanted by one another how potent would that be I'll tell you how potent John chapter 13 verse 35 the Bible says this red letters means Jesus said it by this everyone know that you are mine that you're my disciples if you love one another church how good is that does that dream feel impossible I mean, maybe you're sitting there and, and I, you know, you've got chips in your pocket. I don't even think my pocket's to pull out for you today. But if chips in your pocket and you say, listen, God, I am in if they're in. What would Jesus say to that? What do they have anything to do with it? Follow me. Put your chip in because I said so. Believe in me. Trust me. Live your life on a genuine love and see how it doesn't disappoint and see what happens. If you have ever felt alone in this world, what I would tell you is this, is you trust the Lord and you love others with this genuine affection and you watch what Christ and the Spirit does. Man. I mean, could we just turn the lights off and dream about what that would be for We're not. <laughs> But could you imagine? I want to be loved like that. But it starts with me saying, God, you've already loved me all I ever need. If no one ever loved me like that, it's enough. So let me love others with that love. Why? Because it serves the Lord. It doesn't serve David. It doesn't mean I tried that, but they didn't repay it to me. So I'm moving on. We love one another because it serves the Lord. Love your neighbor as yourself. Look in your Bible, verse 14 through 16, it says this. 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless those and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Now, this is a little bit tricky, right? I mean, this is a pretty emotional journey. Bless those who persecute you. Persecute doesn't mean they don't like you. Persecute means they are actively against you. Man, in our context, it seems like it's Republicans and Democrats. Amen? Bless those who actively persecute you. Bless them and do not curse. Don't say a bad word. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be prideful, but, excuse me, be associate with the lowly. Don't be wise in your own sight. So how do I live and respond to others' actions and emotions towards me? Well, Scripture is pretty clear. You have to honor the Lord by loving them with genuine affection. Verse 9. The word genuine means sincere, going back to it. And this is tricky. You mean in Christ Jesus, I have the ability to genuinely, from a foundation that hates evil, bless someone who is working evil against me. That's the context. Have you seen anyone do that in their own strength? I actively am being persecuted by you. You are actively driving my name into the mud. You are actively standing up. You are actively putting landmines for me to step on. And I'm going to honor the Lord by loving you with genuine affection that comes from God. You can't do it in your own strength. You're insufficient. The Old Testament shows us you can't even not covet your neighbor's stuff. How in the world am I going to do this? See, we have to love people with the right understanding. And here's what I wrote, and I saved my quote so that you can be there with me. Lord, I want to respond with the right understanding in a way that honors you. Often I am tempted to blow things off or even simply be patronizing. But to love my neighbor means slowing down on what I have to do or get to. And make sure I am doing what you've called me to. It's easy. It's easiest to love our Christian brother or sister, but to walk with others through this emotional roller coaster of life, God calls you to be a blessing. Paul would say it this way I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, I've learned it. I can do anything through Christ. That means I can be a blessing when someone, don't, someone doesn't bless me. It means I celebrate their victories. I don't focus on the what woulda, coulda, shoulda been for me. I celebrate with them. I may not have a dog in the hunt, but I'm gonna celebrate their victories. Church, have you ever thought, I'm really good at celebrating the things that are important to me, right? Right? 
Our staff had a thread the other day. It was hilarious. Um, one of our staff members said, oh my goodness, I missed 96 text messages in about an hour and a half. We were talking about football. I mean, Jesus too, probably. But really football. No, it's really football. And it was great. We were talking about college football, college football, college football. And then someone said something about pro football. And I was like, oh, I'm out. I don't care anymore. Just so you know, I'm a college football fan, not a pro fan. But it's really easy to say, ooh, if it's something I love, I'll celebrate it with you. But if it's not something I love, I'm out. Does that sound like godly love or man-centered love? Man-centered, thank you for being honest. You keep talking. Amen. That's man-centered. If I only celebrate with it when I care about it, that's it. If, if, if for you, you've memorized a verse of scripture and it's excited and, and I go, oh, that's awesome. I just memorized the New Testament. Right? Are you following me? That real love celebrates with people. <laughs> it goes up the same thing. If someone says, I memorized a verse of scripture, and they leave out one word, and the word's not like Jesus. Don't be like, oh, you're so close. Celebrate with them. This shouldn't be that hard, but we make it. Cry with those who are hurting. Emotions are easy for some and hard for others. But you, you need to be there with people when they're suffering. And let a genuine love of God say, I am here for you. Live in harmony. Don't stir up things. Don't gossip. Don't create mountains out of molehills. Don't try to, when we feel devalued, we create battles so people will rush to our side so we don't feel alone anymore. That's not God-centered, that's man-centered. And when we ignore the sufferings of others, or maybe we just like riling people up because they interpret a little thing different or they have a different parenting technique or they have a little of something else. Live in harmony. Like, be a good neighbor. Don't be there to just shake things up. Don't walk around looking down your nose at people is what I said for this next one. Don't be haughty, but associate with others. Don't walk around looking down your nose at them. Instead, treat everyone as a potential brother and sister in Christ. An arrogant believer never led anyone to Christ. My guess would be an arrogant believer who embraces their arrogance isn't a believer. Because there's no genuine love in that. At best, they're immature beyond their understanding. Why do I say that? Listen to what 2 Corinthians verse 5, 15, 14 through 16. Paul, as a believer, says this, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who's for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore... We regard no one according to the flesh. If Christ is Lord of your life, then his love that saved you now controls or compels you 
to love others out of the well with, from with which he has loved you. That's what it says. And that means even if emotions aren't your thing, don't fake it. Just be there. Be the rock that points to Christ. Be the one that shows the love that Christ has put in me now is in you. So although if you just taught your, your cat a trick, and I don't love cats, church. I love you. And so if it brought you joy and it's not filled with sin, I'm in. You follow me? And I'm using small examples because you know the big examples right here. And if you're a cat person, I'm so sorry. <laughs> My mom reminds me, we had a cat growing up and you liked it. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what happened. Romans 12, verse 17 to 21. This is where it gets hard. Read it with me out. Follow along with me. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, ooh, I love that part, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do I love my enemy? How do I love those who mean harm to me? You trust the Lord over your instincts. That's what you do. You trust the Lord over your instinct. Listen, I know that there is an instinctual thing to respond in kind. I was literally getting out of my car at Kroger yesterday. And this guy comes in. I won't tell you what kind of car they had just in case you're visiting today. But the spot next to me was open. I'm just getting out. And and he pauses like he's deciding if he's going to let me get out or not and then just starts coming in what I felt like was way too fast in that moment my instinct did not wish well on him amen like I was thinking man Lord if you didn't love me I, I, like can I mess up his paint job or a tire or something can I give him a piece of my mind See, my instinct has nothing to do with trusting God. It has everything to do with getting out what is of me to you. Amen? But the way that we love our enemies or those who mean harm to us or those who are just having a bad day and they're a jerk taking it out on you has everything to do with do you trust the Lord? Do you trust him? Note to self, God has made no man his fixer. Amen? God does not need you to right a wrong. He doesn't need you to teach your enemy a lesson. I think that's why this is last. Love your brother and sister easiest. Walk with others through their emotions and life and the way that they treat each other in Christian community. I can get there. 
but love those who mean harm to me? Now, that's not normal. It's more than just maturity. It's surely not laziness. It's belief. Do you believe that God says vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord? Do you believe that is never right to repay evil with evil? Do you believe that the ends never justify the means? Do you believe that it's not better to ask forgiveness than permission? I know, I just stepped on everybody's toes. But do you believe that? Or is that just something you pull out as needed as a way to say, you know what, I'm saved, God will forgive me, it's going to work out okay in the end. See, to show love to those who hate you means that you understand two things. One, that the world is watching you. If you're not sure, I give you permission. Turn on any news station Watch how any person in our Congress is acting towards any other person in Congress. The world is watching you. If someone knows that you're a Christ follower and you leave this room, the world is watching you. Will you respond with evil or will you show them that you trust the Lord? Church, what I love about this passage is it ends with an amazing point of freedom for me. Verse 18, for if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Church, there are some instances where it doesn't depend on you. Where reconciling with someone, it doesn't depend on you. There are just some situations that you will be in and you cannot make peace. In those situations, don't lean on your own understanding. There are instances in the Old Testament where the Lord says, flee sin. Just get away from it. There are some instances in the New Testament where Jesus says, wipe the dust off your feet. Move along. You and I aren't to compromise to hold peace and we aren't to try and make peace that won't ha happen but if it depends on you you make peace mm. that means if they've hurt you and that bitterness over your life has been growing in you you have control over that you can surrender that to Jesus and turn it over and live at peace that means if that anger is stirring up in you you have control to surrender that to Jesus and make peace. As long as it depends on you, live at peace. So if they want harm from you, if they're hungry, you feed them. If they're thirsty, do good by them. And let the God of all creation work it out. But the very last verse ties into the very first verse. Let your love be genuine. Abhor evil. Verse 21. Do not overcome evil with evil, but with good. 
if you love your neighbor as yourself with the love of God, then you will trust him to overcome evil because he is good. That's what the scribe asked Jesus, good teacher. He says, why do you call me good? Only the Lord is good. I answer, I, I'm going to call you good, Lord, because you are Lord. You are God. And this morning, wherever you came in, however you started today, my question is, will you love the Lord your God with all of your heart? And will you love your neighbor as yourself? And if you don't know Jesus Christ, it starts with him. Because that's where love springs eternal. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your joy. Lord, I, I know the reality that I can't keep this list. I can't make myself inherit eternal life. But you offer it freely. The, the love that I need, the strength that I need, the faith that I need, Lord, it's already been freely provided to me because I belong to you a living sacrifice and my life is my act of worship so father let us be your church today let us lean into you let us follow hard after you so that the world may know the name above all names and the king above all kings in jesus name amen